Hello, it is a Thursday, July 14th, 2016 at one o'clock Eastern time. And this is Marketing Live. I am your host, Amy Jorgensen. On today's live broadcast, we'll be talking about getting stuff done, innovating in a change adverse environment. Marketing Live is part of a higher ed live network, offering viewers direct access to the best and brightest minds in education. Live broadcast allows viewers to share knowledge and participate in discussions around the most important issues in the industry. Today's live viewing experience is powered by Maestro, the premier marketing tech platform for broadcasters. All episodes of Marketing Live are free and accessible in the video archives at higheredlive.com and in podcast format on iTunes. Higher Ed Live is produced by M. Stoner, a marketing and communications firm that works with education institutions on branding, strategy, web design, and more. I'd like to welcome our guest today, Carlin Borasianka. How are you? Good. How are you? Good. Did I butcher your name? I was trying there. It was close enough. <laughs> Awesome. Well, we're excited to have your expertise here today. Um, so let's dive right into the questions. And for any of you that are watching on Twitter and watching live, please do not hesitate to ask any questions using hashtag HigherEdLive through Twitter. And I'll do my best to try to uh, ask them as they come in. All right, so let's start off with the top. Are there any strategies that we can implement before we start on a project to make sure that we're fostering that innovative mindset? So here's the biggest thing, and it's something that so many people skip over because it almost seems like too simple. You need to prepare yourself to be successful for the project because here's what happens a lot of time, and I've seen this so many times in higher ed where for years and years and years, people will be talking about what they wanna do and they'll have these plans that they've given to their bosses and they have all these best practices and for some reason they just haven't been able to do them. But one day, you know, either the college gets a new president and they say, I really hate this website, we need to do a new website or a new VP of communications comes in and they say, and they have that new shiny on them. They're like, what do you need? I can get it for you, what money do you need? And so. All all of a sudden they are in this position where they can do the things they've been talking about doing for years and then they freeze mm -hmm. and they don't know what to do with it i've seen this happen so many times and they they all of a sudden forget that they have all of the knowledge they know exactly what they should be doing but they start going on like all the mailing lists and the groups and saying guys i have this opportunity what should i do what should i do and they get all these responses back I and mean, we've all seen those happen a million times and what's happening is they're having basically a fight or flight response to this, which is what our, our body does when we are faced with a stressful situation. And frankly, a big project at work that you've been talking about and building up for years is a really stressful situation. And so we go into this response where either we fight it aggressively, which is just not a good idea and doesn't usually work, or we run away from it. And what that usually looks like is we start throwing obstacles in our own way, right? We start coming up for all these reasons about why we can't do something. Oh, the people at work won't let me do it, or I don't really have the resources even though my boss has told me I have the resources. <laughs> so we start coming up with all of these reasons not to. And that's the reason why 70% of change efforts within organizations ultimately fail. It's not because people don't have the ideas. It's not because they don't have the know-how. Higher ed marketers are some of the most talented, passionate people I've I've met. I, I work across a bunch of different industries and higher ed marketers, they've got their stuff together. They know what to do, but 
the problem is, and I really think, you know, it doesn't even come down to money most of the time, even if you don't have that blank check. Um, I work with teams that I work with one team specifically, they have all the money they could ever want in the world, and they're still not doing what they should be doing. So what's the problem? And I frankly think it all comes back to people being very cynical. Okay. And that sounds like, I mean, such a cliche, but I mean, hiring people can be really, really cynical. It's a slow moving industry. It takes a lot of time to get something done. And we have convinced ourselves along the way that cynicism just means we're being realistic. But really what it is, is more pessimism disguised as realism. You've almost got to retrain your brain to look and see all the opportunities that you have in front of you. Because there is no such thing as, as an objective reality, right? We, we filter our reality through all sorts of different things, whether it be our emotions or what's going on in that day, whether we got up on the right side of the bed. And that all dictates the opportunities that we see in front of us. If you can't see those opportunities, then you kind of descend into this, this pit of cynicism. And no matter what you have available to you, you can't do anything. Um, and what's ironic about that is that, you know, we all see these people in meetings, right? They're getting up and they're talking about all the reasons why you can't do something or all the reasons why it won't work. Well, we know from research that 31% of people in any organization have a positive, optimistic outlook, but they're not expressing it because they're afraid of the people who are getting up and being negative. And huh. if, it, it's, it's, it's fascinating. And if you can get those people to, to really kind of push back against the people who are getting up expressing this, this negative, pessimistic outlook, then that's going to help you win and get more done at the end of the day. So really, I think the first step when you're starting any project um, is really to take responsibility for yourself, your actions, your mindset. I mean, another way to put this is to see yourself as the problem. If you see yourself as the problem in any situation, that's something you could fix. No one else can fix that. And so if you start with that, even if there are other situational things going on, at least you have control over that piece of it. Excellent, that's a really good point. So how can we change our outlook? Yeah, so I mean, I think what most people have to just realize, first of all, is that we have really trained our brain to see the world in that in that kind of cynical light, right? And that's something that you really need to own. And it's not something you do consciously. It's not something that anyone wakes up in the morning and says, you know, I'm going to be super cynical today. It's going to be <laughs> awesome. Right? No one does that. Um, <laughs> super villains. Super villains do super that. Villains. <laughs> you know, these super villains have a plan <laughs> they're they're owning that to a certain extent um, but so you have to really take ownership of that and and make an effort to rewire your brain very specifically to be more positive and what i give people is i call it the 30-day challenge and think of it like a cleanse for your brain sometimes we go on juice cleanses and they last a couple days and we get really cranky because we're not eating food <laughs> Um, but think of, of, of the 30-day challenge like a cleanse for your brain, okay? And it involves two things. And um, the first one is that you need to stop watching the news, which I know sounds crazy, but here's why, here's why you need to do that. So here's what happens with most people. 
They get up in the morning, they turn on their local news, they're hit with negative story, negative story, negative story, and then they pick up a newspaper and they open it up. And if it bleeds, it leads, right? So it's just negative story, negative story, negative story. And then they go to work and they're pissed off and they wonder why. And then they come home and they turn on the nightly news or even worse, yeah, one of those cable news stations and they're hit with the same thing over and over again. And so though, I mean, I won't say that every story on the news is negative, but a lot of them are. Yeah. And so if you're bookending your day in negativity, that uh, impacts how you perceive every single part of your day. Um, and it's not about, you know, I think people would be shocked at how informed they can be about what's going on in the world without watching the news. It really is amazing. And you put yourself in a position where you can be more picky and choosy about the type of information you're taking in. Look, there's so much information in the world that we can choose. Um, like we can read really good books, we can read magazines, we can read blogs, all these things that have a more positive bent or maybe are just like really informational. But we have to take ownership over making the decision um, about bringing that negative information into our brain. So that's my first rule. Stop watching the news. <laughs> it, it will change your life. Number two, um, so this is actually going to be the harder one for most people for the 30-day challenge, is I want you to go into work and be unapologetically optimistic about everything, even if it feels really weird, because it's going to feel really weird. Like for every situation, you can always find a positive way to look at it. And this is very much like a fake it till you make it moment. So go in and be that voice that's expressing positivity. Be the person that's trying to drown out all the negative Nellies that get up in meetings and talking about why you can't do things. You know, recognize your coworkers, give out high fives and thank yous. I mean, I think it's kind of incredible. There's this study that came out uh, by a company called Globoforce and it, they, they studied employees nationwide and what they found was only 20% of employees have received positive recognition in the last three months. And if wow. you expand that to six months, it only goes up to 30%. And like, I'm sorry, but anyone working in any environment with people should just be really ashamed of that. That means 70% of your coworkers have not received a thank you or a good job or a way to go in the last six months. And we're all responsible for that. That's the environment that we create. And you don't need to be a boss to give out a thank you or a high five. Every single one of us can do that. So th those are the two parts of the 30-day challenge. Stop watching the news and then be unapologetically optimistic at work. And what's going to happen is in those 30 days, you are literally rewiring your brain. You're building new muscles in your brain that weren't there before. And at the end of it, it's really, really incredible. You start seeing opportunities everywhere. And those opportunities were always right there. They were always right in front of you, but you just hadn't seen them before. And so then you can take advantage of them and really get so much more done than you could have beforehand. That's awesome. I mean, I'm thinking back to my mom. My mom always said there's two kinds of people in the world, happy people and sad people, and you get to decide which one you want to be. And so yeah. you're making a very intentional choice and it's opening up so many opportunities. I love that. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, think about the like how many times you get up in the morning and you're laying in bed and you're like, today's going to suck. I know today is <laughs> going to suck. And like you've set your intention right there. Like you have no evidence that today is going to suck, but now it is. 
Surprise. Yeah. <laughs> so even if you're going into something really bad, as long as you have a positive outlook on it, it may mm -hmm. change what the actual outcomes are. You know, no one wakes up going to Disney World saying, today's going to suck. You know, yeah. <laughs> and I worked at Disney and I know the employees there. They never went in saying today's going to suck. They went like, today's, you know, we're going to do something cool today. So you got to maintain that. I love it. So yeah. let's make this highly practical. You know, we've got to get our act in order. So how do we do this and, and make some headway? What do we need to do? So, okay, so you've got your own mindset in order. You've taken care of that. You've spent some time on that. What you need to do next is really, like, basically you need to know what you want to achieve. You need to have your vision in order, your big picture vision and what the impact is going to be on that. And a mistake that a lot of people make is they don't go big enough. They don't, they, they kind of, they, again, we're going back to this, like, I'm being realistic. Thing, right? Don't be realistic when you're crafting your vision. You want to go as big as possible when you're crafting your vision. A, because people like bold visions. People like to be inspired by bold visions. And that's part of what you're trying to do, especially if you have limited resources. You're trying to almost create a rallying cry and people want to be inspired by a rallying cry, right? Um, because you have to get people to come along with you that don't necessarily work for you. So go big with it. And what's that that's going to allow you to do is um, it's going to allow you to compromise around the way because compromising is absolutely critical for this. This is not one of those things where if you want long term change, if you want to do the big projects, you need to basically do it in a way that doesn't piss people off. <laughs> <laughs> that doesn't leave a trail of bodies in your way because I mean, has any of us ever ever in the history of whatever followed a leader that we didn't like mm -hmm. that leader could have the best most well thought out plan in the known universe and you are still gonna find a way not to like them and not to want to follow them so you have to bring people along in a way that they feel like they're winning too best way to do that is by compromising. So if you start your vision out here, you're going to have to go down to like a lower level for compromising, right? But if you started out up here, you're, you're already planning to compromise. So you know, you're going to end up somewhere around here, but you're going to get more out of it because that's just the way it goes. If you can get 60 or 70 or 80% of what you want and make someone else happy, bring someone else along, give someone else a win, that's better every single day of the week than getting 100% of what you want and pissing people off. So make sure to plan for that. And it sounds almost like you can, it's, it's almost like you may not even have to compromise. It's just selling them, like uh, turning it so you're selling it to them too. You know what I mean? Like yeah. one way or another. Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah, but I mean, it is it is compromising to a certain extent because what you what you need to be doing is, is handing other people a win along the way too. So maybe it's just being really aware of Whose, um, whose goals are going to align with your vision and whose goals are not going to align with your vision. And if you need to bring those people along who have different goals than yours, they're probably competing with you for resources because we are all strapped in terms of budgets. So figure out ways, like just do some thinking on it upfront. Um, think about what they're gonna want in terms of handing out a win-win and then give it to them if you That's can. Smart. Yeah, um, but the next thing you need to do is, so you've got your, your big, bold vision, um, then you actually need to break it down into smaller points. And I think the mistake that a lot of people make is they just go with this big, bold, inspirational vision and they expect that to be the driver of actually getting stuff done. And it just doesn't work like that. Um, think of it like losing weight right? So many people right after New Year's are so motivated to get back in the gym and they go really hardcore for for a couple of weeks and they have got this big goal and then they stop going, right? <laughs> yeah, right, me too. Um, but, you know, they're doing that because people want to see fast 
progress, right? So if you've got this big bull vision and you don't have it broken down into really, really short milestones where people can see immediate progress, they're going to to not want to break, go along with it because they're, they don't feel like anything's happening. Whereas if you can give those really short milestones, then people are going to feel excited. They're going to feel motivated. I mean, basically it's like for any runners out there, um, you know, when you're running in a race and you see the finish line, you speed up, right? So just make there be a bunch of finish lines <laughs> and people are just going to keep going at a really high rate. That's awesome. That's really <laughs> smart. So what are some indicators that someone might be change adverse? Okay. So I think, first of all, you always need to plan for people being cynical because most people are. Um, so I actually, actually plan for it, plan to have um, a plan for who your cynics are going to be because you know exactly who they are. You have to work with them every single day. There's always that guy who must not be named, right? <laughs> so come up with a plan to deal with it. Think about what he wants. Think about um, what's going to make him happy, if anything, um, and then try to give him as much of that as possible. But I think a bigger picture here is that uh, people have this idea that um, generally speaking, people are afraid of change. And people are not afraid of change. Like, it's crazy. Like, think about how many people have gotten married or divorced or bought a house or had a kid or had a kid go off to college or got a new job. Like, I mean, if any of those things have happened to you in the last couple of years and you didn't go screaming down the street, <laughs> then you are not afraid of change. <laughs> That's like the big stuff, right? Um, this is just work. Work is not, you know, I mean, you guys work in higher ed. Like, this is not life and death. <laughs> it's not. <laughs> and I think it's important to keep that context in mind. But what people are really afraid of is they're afraid of loss. Okay. And that's what you're dealing with when you're dealing with people who are change adverse, right? There's a very real mourning process that goes along with, um, with moving on from a project that you've put your heart and soul into. And remember that whether or not you agree with the systems that have been put in place at your organization, they were put in place by someone you probably work with. And mm -hmm. so when you're coming in and saying, I'm gonna do this big, bold, innovative new thing, well, what are they losing? What are they losing in that equation? And that it, I think it really shifts kind of the mindset of the conversation because they're probably not pushing back because they're a bad guy. Generally speaking, I mean, no one goes into work. Well, okay, I'm not going to say that. Very few people go into work <laughs> and have a negative intent. Everyone just wants to go into work and do a good job and enjoy the people that they're working with. So you have to assume that people have that positive intent up front and that it's just a very emotional thing when you're connected to the things that you've worked on for years. Um, I also think another thing to keep in mind, and you know, th this is all just context. It's context about how you view the situation, right? But so many people, and I think I, I can't think of any industry that this is more true of than in higher ed. Um, is they're, they're they're not empowered mm -hmm. in their jobs. I mean, especially higher ed, because not only do you have a boss in higher ed, and they probably have a boss or several bosses above you, you also have the committee structure. 
Like, like you are, you are really, most people in higher ed are not empowered to do the basic things in their job description. Like I was, I was thinking about this last week and I worked for three different colleges through my tenure in higher ed. Um, I, I, I was never utilized for my skill set. I really, I wasn't, there was so much more I could have contributed. But the one time that I was, um, was back about 10 years ago when the social media just started coming out and I knew how to use a computer and the director of admissions said, Carlin, you know how to use a computer, go. <laughs> and I was one of those young kids that was right out of school that had no idea what they were doing and was playing around on social media. But that was the one time in higher ed where I was fully empowered to use my skill set. And it was because no one else knew what they were doing. And you, I, you had to invent it as you were going. Um, but the big point here is that uh, when you're dealing with people who are coming across this change averse, understand that when they're getting up in the meetings and they're beating their chest and they're talking about all the things that could go wrong, they're not doing it because they feel powerful. They're doing it because they feel powerless. Yeah. And I think that that's, I mean, it's a really sad thing to think about, but I also think, you know, you can, you can kind of put that in context. Um, I remember this one time I was, I was in a meeting with, with this guy who was a curmudgeon and he and I had been, he had been, I had been like nitpicking at each other for months at this point. I, I think it was mostly his fault, but. <laughs> <laughs> You'd probably say the opposite though, you know. It's yeah, <laughs> I'm sure, I'm sure. But we, we had this one meeting where it all just came to a head and he went off on me. And I just kind of sat there and took it because I was so pissed that I couldn't even say anything. I couldn't even speak. And so the meeting happened to be right before lunch. So I got up and I left the building and I went and got lunch and I had a beer and I calmed myself down. I came back and I, I walked into his office and I slammed the door. I was like, what is your problem? <laughs> and, <laughs> and he looked at me and you could just see he was so defeated. Oh. And it had nothing to do with me. It had nothing to do with me at all. And it was in that moment that I understood that, that he was just feeling this insane sense of powerlessness. And that was how it was manifesting itself. And we had it, we cried it out. We hugged, like there was a good chat. Um, <laughs> we're vulnerable, which by the way, vulnerability is like the number one trait of successful teamwork. So be vulnerable whenever you can. And I gotta tell you, for the rest of the time that I was in that job, he and I were like this. We're like BFFs. Um, but you have to use it in that context. And I think that, you know, if you could start by understanding where people are coming from, that can help you kind of bring them along with you. How do you make them feel powerful? Like if, if with yeah. that individual, like how do you, so they felt so powerless, they felt like they didn't have anything. So how do you help reinstate that? Yeah, I think that any time that you can give people their power back is a good thing. Um, and we can all give people their power back in organizations when we're working with them. I think, you know, just to, to back up on that a little bit, I think the first thing to understand is the decision-making process that people go through from a psychological perspective is that uh, people make decisions emotionally and then they justify them rationally, right? So that's just how the brain is hardwired, um, you know, that's just the way it is. Yeah. And so you have to kind of appeal to those emotional components right and giving people their power back can honestly just be as simple as helping them to be successful think about how you can serve them how you can lift them up how you can um, make them feel good I mean going back to to saying a thank you or a good job or uh, stuff like that that's part of what you can do even if it's outside of your job description 
And that's, I mean, the words like it's not my job are so detrimental in any organization. Don't worry about if it's your job, just help people out. Help people out in the same way that you would want them to help you out. Okay, model that behavior for them. And don't do it necessarily, don't do it as like a quid pro quo thing, because we're talking about, you know, big projects and innovation. Um, don't do it in a way that like you're saying, dude, I'm gonna help you out on this project if you help me out on this thing over here. Just be a good guy mm -hmm. and help them. And if you do that, they'll come back and help you. So this is a big picture, like this is something you need to start doing today, because you can't wait until you need something from someone to start doing this, right? So just help them out. That's awesome. That's some, that's some good advice. So how can we start pushing them in the right direction? Mm -hmm. I mean, I think that, you know, <laughs> giving them their power back is, is a big thing. But also, again, coming back to really understanding what they want, what they want to achieve, what they're trying to achieve, and, you know, building a relationship with them building a relationship with them that is outside of the workplace. Not necessarily that your friends, I mean, I, I, you can have coworkers that are friends and that's cool, but a lot of people go into work and they feel like, you know, I'm not here to make friends. I'm here to do work and keep my head down and do all those things. And that's just dumb because- we, higher ed. <laughs> we're all friends, right? That's true. Well, sometimes you're friends and sometimes, you know, you sit in your office and you email back and forth and, and you don't talk to each other. Yeah. I mean, I definitely, I worked at colleges where, um, like, I, I, I worked at, at a college where I worked in one of those offices that was off campus because they didn't have enough room. I didn't go to campus for six months. Yeah. It was nuts. I would talk to people all day on email, but I would never actually, I wouldn't even know what they looked like. Um, and so I think that, you know, building those human relationships with people, like, people don't stop being human when they walk into the, the office. And the thing of it is, is, I think this is so true in higher ed. It's so siloed off based on what department you work in and who you report to. And understand that when you're looking for resources to help you get stuff done, you don't have to go by the org chart. Okay. The org chart means nothing. The org chart tells you who does your annual review and who can fire you. <laughs> and those are good things to know, but it does not dictate who you go to for resources, right? So be creative about it. Like get to know people, get to know what their strengths are. Um, the most powerful type of influence that you can have in any organization is just by, by having a good relationship with someone. So help them out, hand them win-wins, um, teach them that you're going to help them and they'll come and help you any day of the week. Awesome. So just have good Karma and be nice to people. I like yeah, it. Yes. Yeah. So what is the biggest mistake that people make when they are leading projects? Oh, I think yeah, that's that's easy. So there, there are really uh, three kind of stages that you go through when you're leading a project. You go through that visioning stage that we already talked about. You go through a, a stage where you're building alignment and buy-in. And then you go through the execution stage, right? Where you're actually doing what you say you're going to be doing. Now, the stage that people skip over more than any other stage is alignment, mm -hmm. is getting people on board with what you're trying to do. And the reason they skip over it is frankly, it's not very exciting. Like the visioning stage, you're, you get to be inspiring, you get to do bold things, it gets to be big picture, it's exciting. The execution stage, you're actually doing stuff. In the alignment stage, you're just talking to people and talking and talking and talking some more and then getting some feedback and being told why you're wrong and then talking some more. And it, so it gets really boring for people and so they skip over, but it's so incredibly important. And, you know, I mean, think about it, like you guys are, you guys are marketers, you guys are communicators. 
you know that you need to say something at least seven times for it to get into someone's head, mm -hmm. right? We don't do that at work. We yeah. say something once and then someone doesn't remember it. And then we go, but I told you that in that meeting three weeks ago, why don't you remember it? Well, you only said it once. Like you have to say it over and over and over and over and over again, treat it like a marketing campaign. I mean, if we put like, you know, colleges, you guys put so much effort into like the nitpicky detail of every single message that goes externally. And every once in a while, there's a flap where an acceptance email goes out to an unaccepted group of students. But for the most part, like it's super detail oriented, put that same effort into communicating to people internally, because that's going to actually save you so much time in the long run, it takes more work up front, um, but it'll save you so much time. And the thing people need to know about alignment too, is that alignment, um, it doesn't necessarily mean you're getting people to agree with you because you don't need people to agree with you to get them to buy into a decision or buy into an idea. You just need to listen to them. You need to give them a chance to be heard. People just want to talk. I mean, this goes back to their idea, that idea of giving people their power back in a very real way. Listen to what they have to say, acknowledge it in like a really genuine way. I mean, I think one of the things that I hate that colleges do, and we've seen presidents really screw this up and then get fired over it. Um, there's one president in Canada, I forget the college, but they, they, they screwed this up bad where they had like all these big open forums for this strategic plan that they were putting together and they had all these big open forums where people could come and give feedback people knew those weren't genuine <laughs> <laughs> the plan was already written <laughs> and colleges do this all the time it might not be the big campus wide forum but it might be the smaller departmental thing and you have to really go into these situations with a genuine desire to hear what people have to say and if they make good points include it in the plan be flexible be iterative about it because you can't as the leader of a project, you can't anticipate every single ripple effect that every decision is going to have, right? So, but even if you don't include their stuff in the plan, just, just you know, make them feel like they were heard and people will still buy into a decision that they don't agree with if they feel like they had a chance to express what they wanted to express. No, I think you're totally right. I think that's, that's a really good point. So are there any project management tools that we should leverage when, when we're, you know, putting all this through? So mm -hmm. we talked about like the, the three different stages. Yeah. So um, I think people should leverage their feet and get up out of their office and go talk to people some more. Um, email, I think, is is just it is the enemy of anything that could be considered a human interaction. And we just, we rely so much on email and it's nuts. Email is great for things like scheduling a meeting or passing a document back and forth or sending like a quick note saying, you know, hey, I'm running five minutes late, get the meeting started without me. Those are the things that email is really great for. Email is not great for planning. It's not great for presenting an argument. It's not great for pushback. It's not even great for giving good feedback back because we can't infer tone from text on a screen. And so the biggest number one thing I would say that people should use for a project management tool is to go and talk to people or get on the phone and talk to people. Like, there's a million project management tools out there. Um, you know, take your pick of whichever one you're most comfortable with. But you know, 
just be human about it and, and make sure that you're not letting technology get in the way of having those really human interactions. That's awesome. So, so what about during these meetings? Like, how can we make sure we're using them as effectively as possible? <laughs> so, people hate meetings. Meetings get such <laughs> a bad reputation. <laughs> I've had so many meetings about meetings. Like, oh, I'm not I bet. Even kidding. <laughs> I bet you have. And I think um, what people need to know about meetings is that look, meetings are not necessarily the enemy. Like, bad, pointless meetings are the enemy. So, you have to be really strategic about what you're doing when you're bringing people together for that time together. I think that a really eye-opening exercise that you can do is to break down the cost of what a meeting costs you based on who's in the room. I mean, just think about like the hourly rate of the people in the room and you, and you get to have these meetings that are costing thousands and thousands of dollars. It's insane. Did you get thousands of dollars of work done out of it? I mean, probably not. But I mean, so start off with things like making sure your meeting has a clear goal, making sure that your meeting does not like even if you schedule it for an hour, that doesn't mean it has to go an hour. Um, those sort of things, all those typical uh, best practices in terms of meetings, you can find them in a million blog posts anywhere. But the point I want to make about meetings is that you can use them to uh, dictate the, the pace of your project. And people don't think about this a lot. They think about, um, you know, if you have a project meeting, it has to be once a week or once every two weeks and having that regular cadence. Well, why does it have to be once a week? does not have to be once a week. If people can get their, their assignments done from that meeting in three days, then have a meeting every three days because people are notorious procrastinators and they will wait until the last <laughs> possible minute to do something. And if you give them a week, it's gonna take them a week. If you give them three days, it'll take three days. And when you're talking about big projects that might um, span a year or more from, from conception to implementation, uh, that, that difference of two business days trims a lot of time off your projects. So yes, higher ed moves very slow. That's just the way it is. And in some ways, there are a lot of benefits to that, to be frank, because, um, you know, I work with a lot of like companies that have a very, very, very quick pace. And, you know, they what happens with them is they don't have time to solve the problems. They get in a lot of trouble because they're not solving the problems and it takes them so much longer on the back end than they than they want to admit. Um, but, you know, it's higher ed has quite I mean, it's it's not a privilege, what is that? It's, 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 they have a slower pace. And so you have more time to solve those problems up front. But that doesn't mean that you shouldn't be that you should be scheduling needless time in there. Because you want to build momentum, right? If, you, if you're building momentum, it's the same way of always keeping a finish line in sight, you're building momentum in the same way. It's really, it's, it's so much easier to keep something going once you have that, that full steam ahead approach and having a meeting um, every three days instead of once a week can really help out with that. So explain more about the momentum. How are you yeah. using the meetings to build momentum? By having so them more frequently? Yeah, by having them more frequently, by constantly having those those shorter goals, those shorter sprints to goals. Um, it's just basically about people keep seeing that constant forward progress um, and if you keep that constant forward progress up that just keeps people excited it keeps them motivated um, it keeps them um, more more focused on what they're doing and they don't have a chance to check out as much as they would otherwise awesome so how can we use like the assessments and the analytics and stuff like that that i know all of us are in charge of gathering mm -hmm. at the end of the year to see like how well did we do and stuff like that how can we use those as tools and building momentum and, and going for change yeah. and stuff like that. Yeah, I think that, um, you know, there are a lot of people out there that know the analytics tools a lot better than I do at this point. Um, so I won't I won't go into like the, the 
details of how to use everything, but I think big picture on that sort of stuff, it's just about remaining open to possibilities. Um, because I know a lot of times people have these best practice lists and what they are code for is personal preference. Mm -hmm. It's true. I mean, like how many times do we hear like, this doesn't work on, on the web, especially, oh my God. And like, I was a snobby marketer back in the day when I used to do marketing, so <laughs> I totally understand. Um, but sometimes you have to be open to ideas that are outside of what you think is going to work and you have to be open to what the data really tells you. Um, you know, people are not logical and rational. Like I said earlier, like emotion drives all of what we do every single day. And so what happens is that people look for data that tells the story they want to tell. Mm -hmm. They're not doing it consciously. It's not like they're not being um, they're not being like uh, like negative about it. It's not a bad thing necessarily. They're not even aware that they're doing it. Um, but it's just a matter of being really open and almost having a beginner's mindset in a lot of ways. You know, experience is a great thing, um, and there are so many great experienced professionals out there. But I think when we start to move away from that beginner's mindset, um, which is basically remaining open to possibilities, not letting your previous uh, successes or failures get in the way of what the data is telling you now. Um, listening to those interns that you don't think know anything <laughs> because sometimes they have ideas and maybe you had that same idea three years ago and you tried it and it didn't work. Well, maybe it was just too early. Maybe mm -hmm. that same idea would work today and you're letting experience get in the way and, and your, your data from that previous project, if you will, um, get in the way of trying something that would work today. So I think when you're using assessments and analytics, bottom line is just be really aware that you're bringing your own biases into the situation and be really conscious that this data might be telling a different story than you think. So maybe it's a matter of getting other people's input, getting other people to look at the same data without you telling them what you think it means and see if, if, see if their perception lines up with yours. Um, maybe consider a better way to do things if it doesn't. Awesome. So um, we're getting to the end of our time. Are there any last messages you want to leave with folks to inspire them to innovate change? <laughs> you know, I will say uh, just in terms, just in general, in higher ed, guys, higher ed is such a cool industry. It really is. I mean, I worked in higher ed for 10 years. I, I don't so much anymore, though. I still get to work with colleges. I miss it every day. And yes, it has its problems. It has it has a lot of problems. But um, you know, now that I've, I've branched out and I'm working it with a lot of other industries, you guys have got it pretty good. And just be aware of that and be really grateful for these communities that you have because the marketing professionals, the web professionals in higher ed, there's, there's nowhere like it. Um, I love it. It's why I still hang out with you guys so much and go to Hyatt Web and Penn State and all that good stuff. Um, but yeah, just be just be aware that you have a lot more going for you than sometimes it might seem. And don't don't be the cynic. Don't be that guy. No one likes that guy. <laughs> don't be that guy. Don't be that guy. <laughs> awesome. Well, I want to thank you so much for joining us today, Kaylin. Uh, it was yeah. awesome. And I love your advice and your enthusiasm. This is great. Um, and thank you always to our program sponsors and Stoner. And thank you for everyone who's joined us today. Uh, make sure you check out more shows from Higher Ed Live Pros on higheredlive.com. And we will see you next time.